So I think we're going to just jump into it this morning. And uh, I wanted to begin with a quote from author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkin. And I have a slide for this. I have a lot of slides this morning, so I apologize to the AV team. Um, She says this. She says, our patterns of work and rest reveal what we believe to be true about God and ourselves. God, God alone requires no limits on his activity. To rest is to acknowledge that we humans are limited by design. We are created for rest just as surely as we are created for labor. An inability or unwillingness to cease from our labors is a confession of unbelief, an admission that we ourselves as, that we view ourselves as creator and sustainer of our own universe. And so there's a lot to chew on in that statement, but the thing that stands out for me is that last part, that our inability or unwillingness to cease from our labors is a confession that we view ourselves as creator and sustainer of our own universe. In other words, to break God's commands is to tell him that we know better. To break God's commands is to tell him that we know better. Now, what I hope we've been able to grasp over these last few weeks as we've looked at the Ten Commandments is that what God is providing for his people is not so much a list of rules or restrictions, but rather a pattern of life that leads to flourishing, a pattern of life that leads to flourishing. And the quote that I keep on coming back to that you're going to continue to hear over the course of the next number of weeks is that the Ten Commandments are rules for the liberated life rules for the liberated life. They are how the people of Israel were to live out this newly found freedom that they were given by God. And the commandment to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy is part of what freedom looks like. And not only does Sabbath serve as a pathway toward freedom, but it also, it's also how we acknowledge and bask in the providing hand of God. The Sabbath was and still is a gift gift for God's people to enjoy. And so let's jump in. What is Sabbath? You were handed a bulletin when you came in, and there's just a small little outline that you can follow along with. The passages are partly in there, mostly will be up here, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. But to set the stage, if you do have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, and I just want to read a few verses in verses 8 through 14. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He, and he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities. Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in brick and mortar and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So a couple of things to just kind of provide us with a little bit of context of what we're dealing with here. It says that Pharaoh decided to deal shrewdly with the people of Israel. He set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. The Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. 
If you keep reading along in the story, the evidence against Pharaoh just keeps piling up. The people of Israel, it says in chapter 2, that they cried out for rescue from their slavery. Pharaoh, even after being confronted by Moses to let the people go out and worship their God, he denies the request. And not only does he deny the request, but he adds to their workload, no longer providing them with straw to make bricks, but saying, you got to go find your own straw, and you still have to meet the daily quota. And then when they were unable to meet the daily quota, they were scolded for their inability to produce. What's the point? Why am I talking about this? Well, the conditions endured by Israel under the rule and reign of Pharaoh was an unbearable burden. There was no reprieve and there was no mercy. Which brings us to Exodus chapter 20, our commandment that we're going to be looking at this morning. Remember the Sabbath. Now, we're actually going to be looking at both the Exodus version and the Deuteronomy version this morning because there are some significant differences that I think tell a really important story about who God expects us to be as his people. And so let's take a look. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. It goes like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. A couple of things. The command starts off with this word, remember. This implies that this is not something new to Israel. They've had experience with this. Actually, back in Exodus 16, the Israelites were shown God's hand of provision when they received manna from heaven. And and that word manna literally means, what is it? Because there was this flaky sort of bread substance that fell from heaven, and the people were like, oh, cool, there's food to eat, but what is it? I don't know what it is. And, And the manna was God's way of feeding his kids. But something was really important because it says in chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, that he instructed his people to gather more on the sixth day because tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So what I'm trying to get at is that this was not a new expectation, but more so a reminder of something they were already familiar with. They were already familiar with this. And along with remembering the tradition, they were expected to do something. They were expected to keep it holy. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to keep something holy? It's to set it aside or distinguish it from what is common. In other words, the seventh day is not the same as the other six. This day was set aside for God. It was the Lord's day. And then verse 10 through 11 unpack what it means or what it meant for them to remember and keep this day holy. Remembering and keeping the day holy meant that they weren't to work. It also meant that no one in their household was to work. Their son, their daughter, their male and female servants, the word is actually slaves. Your livestock have a day to catch their breath, and anyone who might be traveling through were all told, don't work, take this time, rest, worship. Key point is that this verse says that the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, the Sabbath is a day which belongs to the Lord. It is for the Lord. And and then the question, though, that we need to wrestle with is why? 
Like, what's the purpose? Why does God want his people to keep a Sabbath? And then he gives the answer. He says in verse 11, for or because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So quick recap, right? He's, he's drawing our attention back to the creation story. Day one, he creates light. Day two, water and sky. Day three, land. Day four, the sun and the moon. Day five, bird and sea creatures, birds and sea creatures. Day six, land animals and image bearers, humanity. And at the end of day six, it says in Genesis 1.31 that God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And, and this is so, so, so to, to imagine this a little bit, it's God is sitting back. He looks over the cosmos, everything that he's created, and he likes what he sees. I do this after I cook like a beautiful Sicilian pizza. I do. I sit back and I look and I say, wow, look at that. And like my kids will be like, oh, let's eat. I'll be like, no, hold on. Let's just look at it. Isn't she beautiful? It's kind of what's going on, though, in all reality. He's, he's, he's just looking, and he's saying, this is, this is wonderful. Like, I've, I've done good here. And then there's day seven. Chapter two, it says this of Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, He made it holy because on it, he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the text says that when God was finished, he rested. The word is literally Shabbat or Sabbath. He Sabbathed on that day. The text says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In other words, rest and Sabbath were built into the very fabric of creation. Rest and Sabbath were built into the very fabric of creation. And this this idea of blessing that is placed upon the day is a blessing that is associated with life. The only other time God speaks a blessing over something in the creation narrative is when he blesses the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and when he blesses his image bearers, and then after he blesses them, he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And so the point is that the gift of Sabbath, which was built into the very fabric of creation, is a gift that produces life and fruitfulness for those who keep it. And it is one of the ways we pattern our lives after our creator. Remember, image bearers were made just a day earlier, and then he rests Image bearers are meant to pattern their lives after the image that they bear, after God. And so basically, God is saying, see what I'm doing? Go and do likewise. But also, in looking back to creation, Sabbath is also a sign that was pointing forward to the new creation that Israel was experiencing at the foot of Mount Sinai as they were entrusted with this newly found freedom. There's a new creation story that's taking place as Israel is, is, is re- rescued from Egypt. And they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're receiving this law. They're receiving these rules for the liberated life. And God is saying, you are free. Now go walk in your freedom. You're a new creation. You're no longer slaves anymore. 
You're no longer slaves anymore. And truth be told, that is exactly what Sabbath keeping provides for us. As we unplug from the hustle and consumer-driven world in which we find ourselves to worship and rest, we are provided with a foretaste of what is to come, but we're not there yet. We're going to get there, though. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This commandment's a little bit different in the way it's structured. It says this. It says, verse 13 of chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates... And then he adds this little thing. It's like a quick reminder that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember, verse 15, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. All right, first thing. This commandment begins with the word keep rather than remember. Or watch, the ESV says, observe. Another way of understanding this is that this is a call for this new generation. Remember, this is a different group of people than were rescued from Egypt. This is the group of people who were the kids of those who were rescued from Egypt. Because the people who were rescued from Egypt, they were unable to get it together. They kept on sinning against their God, and God's like, all right, you're not going into the land. We're going we're to try again. We're going to try again. All right? So this new generation that is entering the promised land where they will be surrounded by foreign gods, they're encouraged to keep or preserve this commandment and tradition that was passed down to them. The next significant difference is in verse 14. The text makes sure that the people understand that their male and female servants or slaves, same word, rest as well as you. And then in verse 15, there's an entirely different reason given as to why keeping the Sabbath is commanded. It's that they would remember that they were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord their God brought them out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They were to remember that they were slaves in Egypt. They were to remember that the Lord their God brought them out from there. In other words, you guys weren't there. You don't remember what happened. You don't remember how your ancestors were forced to work, how they were forbidden to worship the Lord. Therefore, the Sabbath is a day of rest for all, even your slaves, those who work for you, your servants. See, this is really important. Because, because the idea is that, that these, this new generation who, who were not enslaved it probably would have been very easy for them to lord their authority or their power over their own servants within their households. And, and, and Moses, as he's sitting there giving them the, the law, as they're about to enter into the promised land in Deuteronomy, he's like, he's like, no, 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 you need to remember. You need to remember that your, your fathers and your mothers, they were slaves. They were treated in a particular way. Don't you dare do that again. 
Don't you dare repeat the very thing that was done to you. See, we have a way of forgetting history. We have a way of not remembering the sins of the past, and and so we are doomed to repeat them, right? History repeats itself. Like, that's a famous saying. And and so what, what Moses is getting at is like, no, 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 do not let history repeat itself with you. You are my people. You are to look a certain way. You are to live out your freedom in a way that brings honor to me, that shows those surrounding nations as you enter into the promised land what I'm like. Show them what I'm like. Don't show them what Egypt is like. Don't show them what the Egyptian gods are like. Show them what Yahweh is like. This is really important. And there's a spiritual element to this too. There's a a very clear application for us to to not... repeat the sins of our past, but there's also a spiritual reminder as well. See, Sabbath not only points forward to new creation, but it reminds us of who we once were. And when we remember who we were and what we've been rescued from, we can then see those around us through a lens of compassion and love and grace because we've been there before. We've been there before. Moses is reminding them that their salvation, their redemption, their rescue from slavery is sheer grace. And now you need to live out that grace and you need to remember who you were, where you came from. All of us need to remember who we were, where we came from. I think it's hard for us as Christians, especially if we've been walking with Jesus for some time, we we start to look at the world around us and we start pointing fingers and we start saying how horrible all these people are. And, and I'm not sitting here saying that we should, we should clap for people who sin. That's not what I'm saying. But, but can we at least have a smidgen of compassion, right? That's what our salvation should constantly remind us of. That we once walked those shoes. That we have just as much of a propensity to fall back into sin, to fall back into temptation, to be the, the wretched thing that we were saved from. And so, so built into the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day is to remember who we were, where we came from, and how God has rescued us from it so that we might view the world around us through a lens of compassion, grace, mercy, and love. That's massively important for us as the church to wrap our minds around, to get, to catch. We need to remember who we were, what we've been saved from, so that we can walk through this life in compassion, caring for others. Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. People don't come to faith when you bash them over the head. It doesn't happen. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And so these two portions of the Sabbath, these two, these two versions of this commandment, it one reminds us of creation, which should remind us of new creation, And it reminds us of our redemption, which should remind us of what we've been saved from so that we can have eyes to see what is around us and and the grace that is needed to to be displayed by us as followers of Jesus. It's kind of what's happening in these commands. And then the question that we need to wrestle with, is Sabbath for the church? Is this just an Old Testament thing? Or is this something that we should be carrying into the new? And I think 
We answer this question with a yes, but like a yes-ish. Yes-ish. It's not the same kind of yes that was understood and lived out by those under the old covenant. My view. I'm just going to give you my view. This is one of those topics that are hotly debated in, in church circles, in theological circles. People are, are on all ends of the spectrum here. My view is that I am not a strict Sabbatarian. That's a fancy word. Can you figure out what it means? Right? It means upholder of the Sabbath. Meaning, I do not believe that Sabbath keeping, particularly in the way that is outlined in the Old Testament, is something that is required under the New Covenant. However, I believe with all of my heart that it is something that is overwhelmingly profitable. I don't believe it's required, but I believe it's profitable. And when I say that I do not believe that Sabbath keeping is required, what I mean is that if we do not set aside a 24-hour block of time each week for rest and worship, it does not mean that we are sinning. It does not mean that we are sinning. The new covenant is new, which means we do not have to become Jewish to partake of it. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I have a, a slide for this. In Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 6, Paul says this. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. He says this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 9-11. I have a slide for this as well. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This days, months, and seasons is, is the idea of the entire Sabbath structure that was in place in the Old Testament, that every seven years there was a forgiveness of debt, and every 50th year, which is seven sevens plus one, is, is the, the year of Jubilee, where, where slaves were returned, they were no longer considered slaves, all debts were, were freed. It was the entire structure. And then he says this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I have another slide. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so here's the point. The Old Testament law was always meant to be a sign, a huge neon arrow, directing our gaze toward Christ, what Paul calls in Colossians, the substance. The substance. The stuff that fills all the buckets and all the nooks and crannies. It's Jesus. And so that is what Paul's understanding of Sabbath was, of the law was. He's like, he's like hey, if you want to do this, that's awesome. Some people regard days as, as better than another day, and some people see them as all the same. Both those people, cool, that's good. Some of you want to be judgmental on those who, who, who don't want to observe a day as holy. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Paul is trying to convince us and, and convince the people in the churches that he was writing to that you don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. You don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. That's massively important. That's massively important, especially in those days, it was massively important because there were groups of people that were trying to add to the work of Christ saying, cool, great, Gentiles, you became followers of Jesus. Now you got to go to the doctor and get circumcised. And they were like, whoa. And so Paul's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. Now, second, well, I don't think we're sinning if we choose to not keep Sabbath. The New Testament does both implicitly and explicitly challenge us to set aside time to worship Jesus, both together with the body of Christ and in our own lives individually. Now, we don't have time this morning to get into all the ins and outs of, of, of when in history Sunday started being seen as, as Sabbath in the Christian tradition, um, how that came about. We just don't have time for that this morning. I can direct you towards resources that can help you understand that a little bit better. We can talk about it later. That's fine. But as of this morning, we just don't have time for that. But the point I want to make as we try to answer this question of whether Sabbath is for the church is why I believe setting aside a 24-hour block of time is so helpful for our walks with Jesus. There's a pastoral element to Sabbath keeping that I think is far more important than the debates attached to Sabbath keeping. I'm going to borrow a lot from pastor and author John Mark Comer. He writes about this in his book, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. I've recommended it before. It's a phenomenal book. I highly recommend you to read it. But some of the things that he talks about, he talks about this concept, this idea that everybody is busy and everybody is tired. I think if I asked for a, a show of hands, how many of you are busy? How many of you would raise your hand? Or maybe, wow, hey, good for you guys. I'm busy. I'm very busy. <laughs> how many of you are tired? I'm very tired. All of us are overwhelmed with what is happening in the news, in the world. And, and we all know because we all have 24-7 access to every single story. Like, you realize we have access to every single story all the time from every corner of the world. If you have kids, you're probably running around on a daily basis, bringing them to soccer, piano, dance, scouts, not to mention helping them with their homework at night if you have a minute to do that. Lately for us, it's been like 9.45 and we're still trying to get Nathan to finish his homework because it's just, life's busy. To be fair, I don't think our church calendar is that busy. I got to give credit where credit's due. Right? I'm going to pat myself on the back here. We, we have one class that's going to be meeting for six weeks and there's community groups on Sunday. And we're not even meeting with community groups during that time. That's intentional. We want you guys to have some freedom. We all have a job, whether we go somewhere to do it or we do it at home. Some of us work 40 hours. Most of us probably work 50 or 60 hours. There are things we have to do to maintain our homes. You got to mow your lawn. You got to paint rooms. You got to call a plumber. You got, there's, there's constantly things on our lists to do. The point, our schedules are completely packed. And the truth of the matter is, is that we were not created to travel at this sort of pace, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The interesting thing, as you read through the Exodus narrative, the Israelites were forced into slavery. 
But many of us have placed those shackles around our own wrists, and we simply call it life. But what if, what if these rules for the liberated life truly were pathways to freedom? What if instead of bowing our lives to the surrounding culture, we chose to consecrate ourselves or make ourselves holy, particularly in this area of our life? Remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is a gift, and it is God's way of reminding us that he is the one who provides That when we stop working, that when we allow ourselves to catch our our breath and we dedicate time and space to worship our creator, the Bible says that we will be blessed. It says this in Isaiah 56, verse 2. Blessed is the one who keeps the Sabbath. Blessed is the one who keeps the Sabbath. And the sword of blessing that he's talking about in that Isaiah passage is the sort of blessing that shows up in the Beatitudes of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the sort of blessing that New Testament scholar Scott McKnight calls ground-up blessing. It's the sort of blessing and flourishing we experience when we pattern our lives according to the natural grains of creation. It's the blessing you experience if you work out and eat right, you start to lose weight and gain muscle. That's what happens. That's like a law. That's what happens. For some of us, it takes longer. But, but that's the point. It's, it's just, this is what happens when you do these things. This is what happens when you do these things. That's the kind of blessing we're talking about. There's no magic wand, right, that, that makes us fit. There just isn't, right? That'd be, that'd be good. It'd be nice. I would buy that wand. But that's not how it works. There is a pattern that we need to place upon ourselves that when, we, that when, we, that when we, we, we place ourselves up against that pattern, something starts to happen. That's what happens with Sabbath. When you pattern your life in a particular way, introducing Sabbath into your life, you will be blessed. You will experience flourishing. It's the same thing that we were talking about throughout the summer when we were talking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation, that there are certain practices throughout the course of church history that have just proven to be ways that we draw near to God, that we flourish in our walks with Jesus, and we become more and more like Christ. It's just how it works. And so when we introduce these things into our life, it's not a magic wand. In the same way that working out one day doesn't make you fit the next day, it's, it's a process. It's something that is called spiritual formation that happens over time. But this is one of the ways that God gets his hands in the clay and molds us and forms us into the image of his son. In other words, doing nothing other than enjoying God and the good gifts he's given to us is one of the ways the kingdom of heaven advances. Doing nothing other than enjoying God and the good gifts he's given to us is one of the ways the kingdom of heaven advances. Now, practically speaking, I'd be lying to you if I told you that, that I do this perfectly. In fact, it's one of those things that Deanne and I have been trying to figure out for a number of years, like a number of years. But here are some of the things we aim towards. Sometimes the aim is a little broken. 
We try to Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. That's what we try to do. Reason for that is I work on Sunday. For most of you, Sunday is probably a very manageable day to start thinking about how you could begin practicing Sabbath. But maybe that's not the case, and Saturday works better for your family like it does for mine. We try to spend a lot of time with one another as a family. We're just with one another. We really try to make that a goal of ours. Some of the things we try to do as well is I'll try to cook something special for breakfast on Saturday morning, whether that's pancakes, French toast, something fun, something delicious. I made pancakes yesterday. I forgot to put the eggs in. They were very dense. They also didn't cook all the way through. They ate them. I had eggs. I didn't have the pancakes. I didn't like them. We try to empty the dishwasher on Friday. This way we don't have to wash any dishes. We also use paper plates on our Sabbath. Like, these are like little things like that, like, because I don't want to do dishes. We don't want to do dishes. We want to just enjoy one another. We try to spend time with one another outside. I like to read and play guitar on Sabbath. Deanna will sometimes go for a walk by herself. I, I very much try to keep my phone away from me, which is hard, which is hard. So if some of you text me on a Saturday, I might not get back to you. Sorry. The point, the way my family operates on Sabbath when we're doing it right is in a very unscheduled and unhurried manner. And what I think is really important is to incorporate not only a slow and unhurried schedule for your day, but to practice gratitude throughout the day, recognizing that the good gifts we receive being with one another enjoying a good meal, laughing together are gifts that come from the hand of our Heavenly Father who has breathed the life of new creation into our lungs and redeemed us from a life of slavery through the work and person and work of King Jesus. And that's the point. To practice Sabbath is to experience a foretaste of the rest that is to come. And, and just to, to, to kind of get it around our heads a little bit, right? Like we don't sit around and sing worship songs all day on Sabbath. We don't do that. I don't sit for hours reading my Bible. I try to spend some time with God alone. I do. I do. But I think it's important to recognize that, that this isn't the only way we worship, right? In fact, Romans chapter 12 tells us that worship is, is something that is, is bigger than just this, right? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Meaning that when we live our lives in a posture that we're remembering it's God who is ordering our steps, we remember that it's God who is providing the wonderful things that we have, have, have the privilege of being a part of, that's worship. We're posturing ourselves toward God. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it all to the glory of God. So what that means is that our lives, enjoying one another, eating a good meal together, being outside with family and good friends can be a way that we worship God, provided we posture ourselves that way. Provided we posture ourselves that way. And like I said, to practice Sabbath is to experience a foretaste of the rest that is to come. And so as we've seen so far, the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is a command that is grounded in God's good creation 
and his redemption. What we've also seen is that Sabbath is a shadow of the things to come. There's a story in Mark's gospel that I would want to just look at for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. And it starts like this. In verse 18, he says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Nope, that's not where it starts. Verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, who have a problem with what's happening right now, it's, it's Sabbath, they're picking grain. The Pharisees, they were a group of religious leaders during the, during the day of Jesus, and, and they believed that what Jesus and his disciples were doing was unlawful. See, the tradition that had been passed down from gen- generation to generation took the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy to a level that no longer resembled the rules for the liberated life that Israel received at the foot of Mount Sinai. And so in an effort to faithfully uphold the law, it seems that God's people lost their way. And so this is not me throwing shade on on what was happening throughout the generations of of the religious leaders of Israel. I I believe they were at at one time in their history, they were trying to figure this out. They were trying to do it right. They were trying to put up guardrails. They did not want to dishonor God. But along that path, something went awry. No longer were they looking at the law of God as rules for the liberated life, but rather they saw them as restraints. But then Jesus makes this statement that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus was identifying himself as the one whom Sabbath was all about to begin with and that it was always meant to serve and bless the people, not enslave them. It was always meant to serve and bless the people, not enslave them. And this is our point. Sabbath is about Christ. And when we choose to keep a Sabbath, whether it be on a Sunday or another day that works for your family, you are consciously reminding yourself of God's work in your life, the work of new creation, the work of God's provision, and the work of redemption. It's a means of grace. Can we say that not reading our Bibles on a regular basis is sin? I don't think we can say that. I don't think we can say that. But to not read our Bibles on a regular basis, is that going to be good for our souls? not. 
Can we say that working for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, getting four hours of sleep a night, three hours of sleep a night is sin? I don't think we can say it's sin. Are we going to flourish like that? Are we going to experience our walk with Jesus in a way that draws us nearer to him? Or are we going to experience a life of drudgery? Again, I'm not saying it's sin, but it's probably dumb, right? And I think that's the same for keeping a Sabbath. I think that if we choose to not do this, we're not sinning against God, but we're missing out on something that God has for us. We're missing out on something that God has for us. And so what does Sabbath do? It, it, it reminds us that the same God who spoke creation into existence is the same God who ushered in new creation at the resurrection of Christ. A new creation that we are already experiencing and will one day experience in full. It also reminds us that the same God who provided for his people manna in the wilderness and a double portion leading up to the Sabbath is the same God who provides for our needs and enables us to provide for the needs of others who are without. I think that's important too. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He healed a man. And so we have this privilege and this honor that while we are enjoying the good gifts that God gave us, we need to recognize that there are people who are incapable of enjoying God's good gifts because of something going on in their lives, and we have a privilege to be the means by which God extends hope to them in tangible ways. Finally, Sabbath reminds us that the same God who rescued Israel from slavery is the same God who, through Christ, rescued us from our enslavement to sin and death. The Sabbath is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of God's creation and his new creation, of his redemption and his provision, and of Christ. So as we close our time, if you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, it's toward the end of your Bible, right before the book of James. And I just want to look at chapter 4. So here's the point. Let me read, and then I'll tell you what the point is. He says this, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, for we who have believed, enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh command, seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received, formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God has did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of obedience. Sabbath has always been about God. And it's always been a signpost directing us, the people of God, to remember where we came from, where we're headed, and who is taking us there. So there are two people I want to talk to this morning. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the Sabbath is not a burden. It's a gift. It's an opportunity to stop when everything around you is telling you to go. And it's an opportunity to remember and wet our lips with a foretaste of the rest that will be fully revealed to us on the day we see King Jesus face to face. It is a means of grace, a way we experience the life of God, and a way we celebrate our salvation in Christ. The second person that I want to talk to, for those of you who are here, who are curious, who want to understand what this whole Christianity thing is all about, those who are weary and heavy laden, tired and burdened, Jesus invites you to come and receive this rest. He invites you to entrust yourself to him, the one who lived a life of faithfulness, who was crucified for our sins, and who rose from the grave, crushing death to pieces so that we might have life. The rest we receive from Christ by faith is a rest that is accompanied by the forgiveness of sin, the removal of shame, and the promise of life. This is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. This is good news. And my challenge to all of us is to give it a shot. Give it a shot. See how God might bless you, that ground-up blessing, as you follow the God whom we have been created in his image. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We truly do. We thank you that you have provided for us a salvation that is so overwhelming. Thank you that Sabbath is one of those things that reminds us of where we came from, who we once were, and how you've saved us from that, Lord God. Help us to view this world around us through a lens of compassion and love and mercy, and help us to live in a manner that shows the world what God is like, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.